and I'm mixing for a hundred thousand people, and I'm like, this is the biggest show I've ever mixed. And I went to the systems tech, and I said, look, I've done arenas, I'm comfortable with arenas, but this is really intimidating. And he said, don't worry about it. We have the system time aligned. If it sounds great at front of house where you are, it's going to sound great everywhere. And once I realized that the science behind it is really what's making this sound work for us nowadays, I could really just mix and enjoy the show and everybody had a great time. And then mixing arenas was easy after that. (laughs) Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. Here's the first part of my interview with G. Wright. My next guest is a producer and media trainer at All Things Relax Studios. He shows coaches, creative entrepreneurs, and authors how to create a crystal clear message and connect with their audience in the Rockstar VIP Media Training Program. He's worked with many well-known artists and bands, including Aretha Franklin, The Jonas Brothers, and Coldplay, as a tour manager and sound engineer for over 25 years. Throughout his career, he's learned what makes or breaks a great interview and can help you channel your inner rock star. His name is Gregory Wright, a.k.a. G. And we'll be talking about making deeper connections through communications, getting to know your own voice as an instrument, and about how sound works in different environments. I'm particularly excited about sharing his stories, about his time as a radio DJ, his experiences as a sound engineer on the road, working with some pretty famous musicians and musical tours, and also hearing about where he thinks the medium of sound is headed. As always, if you have questions for my guest, you're welcome to reach out through the links in the show notes. And if you have questions for me, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com where you'll find a lot of ways to get in touch. Plus, subscribing to the newsletter will let you know when the new podcasts are available. And if you'd consider it, I'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. You can leave a review that I'd love to feature on future podcasts, either in written or in voice format from the podcast's main page. And now, here's my interview with producer and rock star media trainer, G. Wright. Hey there, G. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> so I have a really uh, interesting question that I like to ask people to start off these interviews. And I want to ask you if you have an early memory of how sound moved you, if you want to talk about that. Yeah. Ever since I was five years old, I wanted to be a radio DJ. So I remember uh, playing, you know, my mom's Barry Manilow records and Beatles and Carpenters records. Remember them on my Mickey Mouse record player? I remember the Carpenters. Oh, yeah. And I would pretend, you know, that I I would take like the the tube of... uh, um, you know, paper towels or something. I got in trouble because I would go through like three rolls of paper towels and tape it together. And that was my microphone. And I would pretend I was on the radio, right? So I pursued that. And then at 16, I actually became a commercial radio DJ at the local top 40. How did that happen? Well, I heard... Oh my goodness, at 16? At 16. Yeah, I was in high school. At the time, I was one of the youngest in the country. Uh, with an FCC license, I heard them advertising on the radio saying, hey, if you're looking for a summer gig, 
you know, come try out. So I tried out and I remember, you know, and I was going up against like some other competition, but I ended up getting a gig and I was Elvis in the parade as the very first gig. So I, I really got to see the power of the microphone and the power of radio because I was sitting in the back of this Cadillac and I go, oh, I'd love a jelly donut. And all of a sudden donuts appeared out of nowhere. And I'm like, this radio thing is pretty cool. So I was going down that <laughs> road of radio. And then when I turned 18, sure. I went into the touring world, went out with a, a USO type tour, uh, going to perform at veterans hospitals. And that's when I started to see the country you know, 48 states in, in the U.S., everywhere but Alaska and Hawaii. And then um, that's when I decided I was going to go into touring. But sound has always been part of my life, and it really helped shape me as a sound engineer for the 25-plus years working on the road. Yeah. So you've had a lot of really interesting experiences on the road, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are there any that uh, that are particularly memorable for you that you want to talk about? I would say one of the coolest experiences is that I got a call from an artist uh, herself, and it's very rare that the artist calls you. It's usually the record label or the manager or the agent, but that was the great uh, Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. May she rest in peace. She called me up, and I, I was hired to mix her for a show, and it was one of her last one of her last shows before she passed away, but just working with that type of caliber of artist was really incredible oh yeah how did she find out about you well that's the thing that's that's the thing about how the music <laughs> business the entertainment business you never know it's it's who knows you yeah. uh evidently my resume i, I sent it to her um, i think it was an agent at william morris so i worked with william morris a lot and i got a call and she said my agent got your resume and wants to know you know i'm calling you and do you want to do the gig? And I'm like, for you? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? And I'll tell you, out of all of the vocalists I've ever worked with, Jody, she hands down has had, she still has because the recordings are there, the best vocal mm -hmm. I've ever heard in my life. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, considering the people you've worked with, that's a pretty big uh, recommendation. Yeah, there. I hope they don't take offense, <laughs> but there's only one queen of soul. <laughs> there were a lot of great artists. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. They were a lot yeah. of great vocalists, but man, she had power. You know, she was great. Yeah. How did you get into doing all of the touring and the sound for these tours? Because that's a different skill set from DJing. I mean... <laughs> So where did that come from? Well, when I was in high school, I was always in front of the mic. I was always the actor or the singer and everything. And then when I went on that, um, you know, as a, as a DJ, I was like, this is cool being behind the mic. And then when I went on that USO tour, I actually ended up uh, sneaking into a Whitney Houston concert and meeting her tour manager and her front of house oh, wow. engineer and watching the show from front of house with talk about another great vocal, right? Like I'm sitting there at front of house with the headphones on and there's Whitney's vocal right in my ears, like without any processing or anything. I was like, this wow. is what I need to do. So I was at a crossroads where I was like, okay, do I continue doing the radio thing, which is great. And I could follow in Casey's you know, Footsteps and, and Rick D's and Shadow Stevens and all those guys that were my heroes growing up? Or should I, you know, take this touring path? So I went to a recording school called Full Sail down in Orlando back when it started out, one of the first classes. 
And my very first gig coming out of school was working with Dolly Parton at Dollywood and mixing shows. Oh, wow. Okay. So I say... That must have been a different experience. It was It was cool <laughs> because it was 14 singers and dancers and a live band, and it was seven shows a day, five shows a day, sometimes on seven shows a day. So what that really taught that is a me... a job. Oh, thank you, yeah. <laughs> I learned how to mix. I learned how to take all these different sounds and everything that I, that I learned on the road and everything that I saw at the Whitney concert and learned in school. And to I, I think the key with anything that we decide to do professionally is the key is repetition, is doing it over and over again. The first couple shows are not going to sound great, but you just keep going and going, and before you know it, it just becomes so natural and that you're, okay, now I, anybody that gets on stage, I, I can make them sound, I think they sound better, you know, make them sound good because I'm using the same tips and techniques that, that work in sound, you know, from the sure. science. and speaking... Yeah, speaking of the tips and tools and the science of all of this. Yes. So you've mixed probably like huge, huge arenas for, for artists, and then yes. you've mixed smaller venues as well. Yes. So what's the difference between mixing for a huge venue and mixing for a small one? As most of your listeners are probably really well-versed in audio, so <laughs> I'll just give the honest answer. It's the room. The theaters sound the best because they're designed for audio. Clubs are fun and, and, and they can be some of the best sounding rooms because the, your audience is so close. So your audience is absorbing a lot of the sound. And even if you have like a, a tin roof or something that you're dealing with, if you understand how audios and uh, audio frequencies, dynamics work, arenas are the toughest to mix because it's just a big concrete room. But that's where you rely on the science of, you know, Claire Brothers and all these different companies that are using computers and time aligning the sound system so that it sounds great everywhere. So you're not fighting the room. Like one of the biggest shows that I did was, uh, and it was show one, first show of the tour, and that was on the Jonas Brothers tour. And it was uh, uh, for an opening band, a support act called Honor Society. And our very first show was at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, 100,000 people with the 150-foot, you know, uh, video wall in the middle and like 30 tons in the air. And it was a huge concert wow. tour. And I'm mixing for 100,000 people. And I'm like, this is the biggest show I've ever mixed. And I went to the systems tech and I said, look, I've done arenas. I'm comfortable with arenas, but this is really intimidating. And he said, don't worry about it. We have the system time aligned. If it sounds great at front of house where you are, it's going to sound great everywhere. And once I realized that the science behind it is really what's making this sound work for us nowadays, I could really just mix and enjoy the show. And everybody had a great time. And then mixing arenas was easy after that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. Actually, I'm curious because like Coldplay is one of my favorite bands. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I'm curious, like, because you mixed for them too, right? I, I mixed for Santa Gold, who was the opening act on Coldplay. But yes, I did I did oh, that okay. tour and I, I met those guys and, and their crew and God, great guys. Incredible mm. sound, incredible band. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so when, so you did this for a long time, yeah, right? And 25 then, years. Yeah. What made you decide to go into something else? <laughs> well, I, I finished a tour and I, I was living in LA and I got a call from, you know, my family saying that my father is going in the hospital for open heart surgery, uh, pretty serious triple bypass surgery. So I decided. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. I came off the road and I was like, well, I'll take care of him. And while I was off the road and, and being in one place for a while, I was like, this isn't so bad. You know, I've done the touring and everything. And then while I'm living in central Pennsylvania, I, I met and fell in love with my partner, Sandy D. And that's why we created All Things Relax Studios. And now, you know, I produce her podcast. She's out front as the host, All Things Relax with Sandy D. And then we just launched this rock star media training where we show you know, our clients, the band members, all these tips and techniques that I've learned and seen firsthand from these artists before they go on stage or they do an interview. Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio-branding-strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website, and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that, too. Now, back to the podcast. I'd love to hear more about that. So this is basically helping with public speaking yes. or is this um, more than that? It's like um, being on podcasts yes. and, and getting your message across. Like, yeah. Are, are there particular tips and tools that you want to talk about that that maybe some of our listeners might uh, gain uh, experience from or, or have a good uh get good information absolutely yeah. and we had this we had this conversation off camera about how much rehearsal it takes to sound natural Remember, yes like, it totally it, does because we listen to your <laughs> vo's and it sounds like you're just having a conversation with us right but it takes, takes coaching right, yeah right. lots of coaching <laughs> so you know we show authors and coaches and creative entrepreneurs how to speak with confidence and clarity you know how to have a crystal clear message they, they don't have to follow these trends and point this way and and do this dance and all that to promote their brand all they have to do is really speak with that confidence and clarity and they will connect with their audience so what we do is we show them that every singer before they go on stage or do an interview they prepare they they prepare they they rehearse we call it pre-production in the music industry and you know for an artist that's performing an, an hour and a half show pre-production rehearsals can go weeks or even months 
you know, because it doesn't just happen by itself, you know, like you, you see like Coldplay, for instance, or any any act in an arena or anything. You, they walk on stage, everything, the sound, the lighting, the video, everything's perfect. The stage moves, the crowd, the lights that takes rehearsal. So what we're showing entrepreneurs is that you don't have to spend months and months and months in rehearsals before you do your TED talk. But, you know, you before you go on a podcast, you really should know who you are, what you do, who your audience is, what makes you unique, and take these same tips and techniques that these artists use and use it for promoting your business. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. There, there's also something that I want to raise as well, and that is that even seasoned performers are not perfect, and they will make mistakes yes. on stage. Yes. That happens, yes. right? So it's what you do to recover from that that really is the point. Yes. Um, I like for instance. I mean, I've done live performance myself, so I know this happens. Yes. <laughs> um, you you totally would know a song off by heart, like the back of your hand, but then you get on stage and you forget a word or something like that, right. and you're the only one who knows. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Unless you telegraph it, you are the only one who knows. So the idea is not to telegraph it and make sure that you can recover from that little slip up that you only heard and no one else would notice. <laughs> so how would you suggest that people recover from little slip ups and stuff like that? What would you think would be the best way to think do that? Think of your favorite concert you've been to and the lead singer forgets the words and they put the mic out. You sing. Or the guitar player, you know, the chord <laughs> pops out yes. and he's like, oh, or the pedal, sometimes a guitar pedal, something very simple. A guitar mm -hmm. pedal goes out. They don't let it phase their show. They fix it and move on. And that's where really speaking with confidence comes in that people have invited you on this show for a reason. People are inviting you to speak in front of them for a reason. It's not necessarily that it has to be perfect. Nobody's looking for perfection. No one's looking to have, like, just read a script. It's there's something that is unique about you that they are interested in. So if you feel really confident about what you do, you don't have to worry about screwing up because you can't screw it up. If if you say something wrong, you just go, well, okay, um, what I meant is this. Or you don't even have to because unless they're reading a script along with you, like, they don't know that you that you may have said something different. It's it's just that, uh, and it comes with repetition, right? The more shows you do, because I've seen it with bands, you know, they're like they play the wrong set, they start with the wrong song, yeah. and everyone's in the wrong, and it's like okay, <laughs> and there's a little freak out backstage a little bit, and sound and lighting is like oh we're on the wrong set. Well, you just you just adjust and you move on, and and the audience really has no idea, as long as you don't yeah. stop yeah. the show. Never stop the show. Just keep going. Yeah. Just yeah. Keep going. It's it's uh, it's hard to overcome our own hangups, I guess, when it comes to that. Right? But yeah, but for the sake of a good performance, and that, like you said, can be either a musical performance or a spoken performance, mm -hmm. although they are different. So it makes me ask the question, when you are in a situation where you're doing public speaking, mm -hmm. that is kind of a different situation than flubbing a line on a song. You know what I mean? So when you're alone on stage, there's no one backing you right. up. Like, 
what do you suggest that someone does if they're feeling particularly nervous or if, you know, if they flub a word or something like that? Like for public speaking, mm-hmm. it seems it would be a slight bit different. What do you think? I I think, um, you know, it all starts with treating your voice like an instrument and warming it up and warming up your your mindset. So if you are going to perform on a show like you're you're going to uh, present in front of an audience, right? Try to get into that venue when there's nobody there or even rehearse at home, but rehearse with with a camera and mic and everything and and really just become comfortable in the environment so that and when if something happens, you're just it, it becomes more comfortable to. It's like with bands, you know. It's like okay, they flubbed up that song, they they move on, they move on. The audience, if here's here's the bottom line: if you don't bring attention to it, chances are the audience has no idea. Very true. Yeah, yeah. It's hard not to. I mean, we're almost like apologizing when we make a mistake. We don't, we you don't want to do we that. Stop doing that. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what if you're presenting it's and tough. your PowerPoint goes out, the video goes out, and all of a sudden yeah. you don't have the video? So those are things that we, you know, try to rehearse too. Is like, okay, what, what's the backup plan? But you know, and that's that's why what we teach is yeah. using a set list instead of a script. Is a set list is just having points written down, like bands just go have their songs written down. You know, they don't have the mm-hmm. lyrics. They know the lyrics. They've rehearsed it so much, but have a set list. And then just that way you only have to focus on having stories about certain things. You don't have to worry about all the details of the story because the reality is that people are never going to remember what you say word for word. That's a good point. They're going to yeah. have a what, feeling. What will they remember? They're going to have a <laughs> feeling associated with it. The feeling. Okay. They're going to feel like, yeah. wow, this is great. That's amazing. This person really knows what they're talking about. That story really, mm-hmm. you know, moved me and, and was emotional or whatever the, you know, the outcome of, of the performance is. That's what they're going to remember. Not if someone flubs a word. Yeah, exactly. So that's how you make the communication compelling. Is that, uh, is there more to it than that? Like stories, obviously. Share, but, sharing yeah. stories that, that, you know, get get your point across. Like if you're... Uh, describing, you know, how you got your start in business and you go, well, I, you know, 10 years ago I, I started my business and now it's doing great. Or if you have like some <laughs> story that's like, you know, brings the audience on a journey, you know, like mm-hmm. the story I shared about the, you know, five years old being a radio DJ, you know, it's, it, it brings me back to that. And when people hear a story like that, they can relate to it and go, wow, okay. And there's no way you can screw it up because it's real. It happened to you. It's not you're you're memorizing something. You're you're reading a line. It's just you're you're sharing this this story of, wow. That's that's how I got through this. That's how I was able to do this. And that's what I show people to. You know what I mean? It has more emotion to it than than if we just go up there and read like a resume or something. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Stories yeah. are what reach us the most. Yeah. yeah. The power of audio. Kind of like Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's kind of in our DNA, isn't it? Like biologically, we are predisposed to accept stories to get information. Yes. Like isn't that 
That's part of our makeup. <laughs> yes. And when we, we were told a story or we, we hear something from 20 years ago, like, right, you hear a song from 20 years ago. You may not remember the lyrics, but the chorus, you remember the chorus. You can sing along to the chorus. It's the same thing. When people have that emotion to the story, they may not remember all the details. Well, it was sunny that day or no one cares. It's that feeling that they'll remember like, wow, that's amazing. And that's the feeling that people mm-hmm. take with it. And that's what it means by really channeling your inner rock star having a great show is that you're just, you feel great about your performance and everybody else is feeling that feeling that you want them to feel. I know that we're all dealing with a lot of stuff these days. So I particularly wanted to acknowledge those that have taken the time to leave honest reviews of this podcast. Skyle Renee, I think it's Renee, it's spelled R-E-N-E, so that's what I'm going to go with. I hope I got it right. Had this to say. Worth it. This podcast is so good that I just want to sit and stay in my car a little longer. Thanks, Jody. You're very welcome, Skyle. And thank you so much for taking the time to write a review. Now, back to the show. Are there other tips that you tell public speakers to, um, to do when they're doing a, a speech? Or, or connecting with their audience, other ways to do that? Yeah, I think if, if people, we, we tell this to all our, all our uh, clients, our band members, and I told this to many bands, you know, um, over many years. It doesn't matter how many people are in the audience. It doesn't matter if you're going on a podcast and there's five listeners or 5,000 or 5 million. It doesn't matter if you're walking in front of a, a TED Talk and there's, you know, 200 people there or 2,000 or 20,000. It doesn't matter. You just focus on connecting with that one person, sharing a story with that one person. And that takes away a lot of the fear of, well, you know, what are these people going to think? It's you connect with that one person. Remember, there's a reason they've invited you on the show. There's an expertise that you have to offer. They have come to you and want you to talk to them. So just talk to that one person. Just like today, it's you and I having a conversation. Very true. That's it. Yeah. So if you're, yeah, I, I, that's that's perfect. Yeah. Yes. Um, but along those lines, I'm curious, if you're speaking to someone in an audience do you focus on, like, do you look into some one person's face or do you concentrate on other people or do you look into the light? I mean, like <laughs> when when I'm referring to one person, it can be somebody physical in the audience, but it's really like you're talking to that one person in marketing. They use like avatar. They'll say like your ideal customer, your ideal client. Sure. But it's like your message yeah. is catered to that one person if if you're a life coach and you have a, a specific skill and you help people, you just you cater your message to that one person. Now, as far as when you're in an audience, yeah, that I mean, if if your friend is there and you can look at them, but it's like it's kind of like when when artists are performing on stage is that you've been to shows, right, Jody, where you could swear the lead yeah. singer was singing to you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are they just focusing on some area and they don't really know who they're looking Their at? Their message like- <laughs> is so dialed that they, they you feel like they're singing to you. There's other there's probably other people in the audience that feel the same way and there's just a way of performing. There's a swagger that they have on stage. That in the inner rock the star. Inner rock star and and it's like <laughs> and that takes skill and that takes practice. And that takes performing a lot of shows 
to really become that comfortable, especially when you're doing bigger venues. You know, that's why I love the clubs because, yeah, you could literally look at the person in the front row and, and sing to that person. But it's it's the same concept. It's not the same as performing music, but there's a lot of similarities to performing on stage with music or theater and, and performing as far as like public speaking. There's a lot of similarities. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time.